Well, good morning, Shore. Morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. We will be continuing in our series on the Beatitudes, which is the opening section of the most important sermon in the history of the world. Now, tell me if you've heard this phrase before. You are what you eat. Yeah? You are what you eat. Now, typically that phrase is used in relation to food, wherein if you eat healthy, you will become healthy, or if you eat unhealthy, you will become unhealthy. And yeah, there's some truth to that, but I think that phrase goes well beyond food. And I can confidently say this morning that if you feed on sensuality, physical pleasures, materialism, you will begin to embody those qualities. And in doing so, you will become what you eat. So a few years ago, I, before I worked at the shore, I worked for a software company that developed software for, for attorneys. And I was a customer trainer. So basically I spent all day training attorneys how to manage their practice on this software. And I had the privilege of going down to Houston, Texas and training the largest client in the history of our company. So I was in a room with about 200 attorneys, paralegals, administrators who had been doing things a certain way for the last 15 years. And then I walk in and say, here's how we're going to do it now, right? So you can imagine how great that was taken. And while I was there, I was pulled into the office of one of the named partners. So if you don't know anything about law firms, named partners, one of the guys with his name on the wall, one of the head honchos there. He pulled me in his office. He poured me a glass of really expensive scotch. And I don't know why, maybe I give off this vibe, but he just started telling me everything like his deepest sorrows, his deepest secrets. And he said to me, Jordan, my life here is like a circular golden staircase. I feel like I'm climbing this staircase. I get a little bit higher and I think, if I can just get a little higher up, I'm gonna have what I want. I'm gonna be happy. I'm gonna be satisfied. But then I'd get there and I'd be like, no, I wanna go a little bit higher a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And this is a guy who was one of the most successful attorneys in the history of Texas. He had the wife, he had the kids, he had cars, a house, anything he wanted. He had everything. His sensuality is so much that so many of us are desiring for. It really consumed his life. And I can confidently say that he became what he ate. But here's the thing, he was never satisfied. And I think it's safe for us to say this morning that your appetites and your desires will reflect what you become. I say all this to lead into our text because that is where God is going to set a table for us to stick with the food theme. He's gonna set a table for us, put a menu in front of us, tell us the specials, and he'll tell us the only appetite required for guaranteed satisfaction, okay? That's where we're going, Matthew 5, verse 6. That's where we're going to be. Here we go. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Now, remember in the Beatitudes, whenever we see the they or the theirs, that is emphatic, meaning that it's they and they alone should be satisfied. Only this type of person will be satisfied. And this is the diet that our Lord Jesus Christ is setting before us as the only true source of sustenance and satisfaction. In this one beatitude, this one sentence, he'll tell us what we need to eat to be satisfied and how we are to eat it. And an important thing to note here out of the gate, which I think will help you sigh a bit of relief here, I know it does for me, is Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are righteous. He's not saying blessed are those who are righteous. No, with grace in mind, he says blessed are those who are admittedly unrighteous, but hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they and they alone will be filled. And so our spiritual health comes from this really beautiful attitude of spiritual hunger. And my hope this morning is that as we unpack this further, we'll see the reality of this beatitude come for life, come to life for us, and it will lead us into satisfaction that we've been searching for elsewhere. And I hope that we will develop a new appetite and hunger for righteousness. So like all eight of the Beatitudes do, Jesus begins by first giving us a prescription followed by a reward. And so we'll follow that path today. We notice that the menu that is prescribed for our spiritual satisfaction is righteousness. So the question you're all thinking is what is righteousness then? Well, sometimes when the scriptures refer to righteousness, it is referring to righteousness in regards to the salvation in which God gives us through Jesus dying for us. Right standing before God because Jesus died on our behalf. We see this especially in the book of Romans. The theological term is imputed righteousness. But though that is a foundational element to our faith, that's not where Jesus is going here. Other times we hear righteousness, and especially with the events going on all around us in culture, we immediately think of social righteousness. And that's certainly an important ideal and something we as a church need to address. And it's actually an outpouring benefit of the actual righteousness we're talking about, but it's not what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, so what then is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about because he is going to build the rest of his sermon on this one idea. So what is the righteousness that Jesus is telling us to hunger and thirst for? To help us, I'm going to reference an Old Testament scholar, Gerhard von Rod, who I'm sure you guys are all reading this summer, okay? And he's going to help us unpack what this word means. So it'll be on the screen. He says, there is absolutely no concept in the Old Testament with so central a significance for all the relationships of human life as that of righteousness. It is the standard not only for man's relationship to God, but also for his relationship to his fellows, reaching right down to the most petty wranglings. Indeed, it is even the standard for man's relationship to the animals and to his natural environment. Righteousness can be described without more ado as the highest value in life, 
that upon which all life rests when it is properly ordered. Okay, lots there. Along with the word righteousness, did you notice another R word show up multiple times there? Anybody? Relationship. Yeah. Why? Because relationship is at the core of this righteousness. Von Rod later has a thesis that says righteousness does not involve living up to a certain legal or moral principle, but rather living in faithfulness to the terms of a relationship. The righteous are those who live up to this particular set of standards given to a relationship. It's like Daryl Johnson says, a spouse is righteous to their marriage covenant. A citizen is righteous to the terms of the law. Righteousness means right relationship or right relatedness. And so we can say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship with God. Now, it's important when we talk about the law, commandments, all of that, and we'll just stick with 10 commandments because it's really straightforward. When we talk about the law, it is not a list of do's and don'ts that we must obey to have a right relationship with God, okay? It's not legalism we're talking about here. It's not religion. Here's what Johnson says. He says, the Ten Commandments are not an arbitrary code of ethics God imposes on us. No, the Ten Commandments are an exposition of the right relatedness that flows from a right relationship with God. So in other words, we do not do the Ten Commandments to earn favor and build a relationship with God. No, we have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us. And from that relationship, the commandments flow into our lives. And so the law does not exist to show us that we are good and can perfect the law. Thank God but rather it shows us that we don't come close to perfecting the law and therefore need grace, which we have. And that is ultimately the mindset of the first beatitude, which causes us to see our need for grace and spiritual help as we run to Jesus poor in spirit. And if you'll think about the flip side of this, that means that disobedience to God is so intimately hurtful and personal to him, not because we couldn't follow his rules, but disobedience is so intimately personal because a relationship has not been taken seriously. I want you to think about that for a second as a spouse or as a parent or as a friend. Righteous means being faithful to a relationship. Blessed, approved, in sync with Jesus are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship with God for they shall be satisfied. Furthermore, it means that really the one foundational primary desire in our life is to know God and have fellowship with him. It is a relational righteousness that is pleasing to God that you will be satisfied of. That's what Jesus is talking about. 
And you'll notice that the way we are to desire this is given to us in really the most aggressive terms. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. William Barclay will help us. He says, the hunger which the beatitude describes is no genteel hunger, which could be satisfied with a mid-morning snack. The thirst of which the beatitude speaks is no thirst that could be satisfied with a cup of coffee or an ice drink. It is the hunger of the person that is starving for food. It is the thirst of the person who will die unless he or she drinks. And so Jesus is not blessing those who are mildly uncomfortable in life. No, he's blessing those who do not believe that they can live unless they have right relationship with Jesus. The words are as intense and urgent as they can possibly be because hungering and thirsting are really the strongest impulses we as humans have on a consistent basis. And I understand that this is hard for me and it's probably difficult for many of us because most of us can go home turn on our tap, and we have like infinite amounts of some of the freshest water in the world. I know that's not true for everyone, but most of us. After church, we can head out the door. There's a plethora of grocery stores, restaurants, where we can go get something to eat. You can even go on your phone right now and order something to your seat. It's that easy for us. But this idea would have been completely relatable to the person in the audience. The average first century Palestinian who would have been there in front of Jesus, they typically lived right on the edge of starvation and dehydration, many times not finding that next meal that they need, and they starve to death. And so what Jesus is describing is very real to them very intense, not a pleasant picture. Jesus is not describing that, you know, late afternoon, pre-dinner kind of stomach rumbling we get for a snack. No, he's talking about starving for righteousness, to be desperate for it. It's an intense term, and here's how it's even more intense. It's not a one-time thing. Jesus is talking about a continuous attitude here. It's not like you eat and that's it, you're good. No, it's a continual statement. Blessed are those who continually hunger and thirst and starve for righteousness like their lives depended on it for they and they alone shall be satisfied. Those are the ones that Jesus says are blessed, approved, in sync with him. We see this in the life of King David, who who was one of the most powerful kings in the history of Israel. He knew God like many of us can only dream of. God calls David a man after my own heart. He walks so intimately close with God, but at the same time, he makes no effort to hide the desperation and hunger and thirst he has to know God even more. In Psalm 42, he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. 
for the living God. Like, do you see the agony in that? It looks like a pleasant picture on the surface, but he's saying like an animal wandering the dry wilderness who is going to die of dehydration unless it can find a pond, so I long for you, God. Or in Psalm 63, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. How? As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is the way it is for a healthy believer. Someone who has had the gospel and the Beatitudes take hold of their life. A healthy believer, no matter how much he or she has of God, never has enough of him. George MacDonald says, in things spiritual, increasing desire is a sign that satisfaction is drawing near. And so Jesus says, Blessed are those who desperately hunger and thirst and starve to be in right relationship with God, for they shall be satisfied. And I want us to remember that he begins this beatitude, like all of them, saying blessed, or in other words, approved. The person who is starving for righteousness is a person that he calls blessed, And one of the foundational reasons why is because if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is a sign that you are a true believer, disciple, follower of Christ. It is, in an essence, the definition of a believer that you hunger for more of him. And it is really a disruptive, piercing test for us this morning to see where we are really at in our relationship with Jesus. In fact, if, if we do not find this beatitude as something that appeals to us, I say this because I love you, but I would tell you to take a good long look in your heart this morning and see what you are truly hungering and thirsting after. Because if we're not hungry and we're not thirsty for more of Jesus, then we should be concerned And we should do some wrestling with God this morning. Now, remember, like I said off the top, I'm not saying, are you righteous, right? Jesus isn't saying, are you in right relationship with me? Though that would be great. He's saying, do you have a hunger for it? Do you have a thirst for it? It's a difficult test, but it's also a gracious test where you will be met with kindness and mercy and patience. Remember, the law was not given to us so that we could perfect the law, but rather to show us that we can't and we need grace, which we have in Jesus. We always got to come back to that. Likewise, the very first beatitude tells us that the one whom the kingdom of heaven belongs to is the poor in spirit. And so if you're sitting there now thinking like, I don't, I don't know if I hunger and thirst for Jesus. I mean, sometimes I do. I don't always. I I want to more. I want to hunger for more. I just can't do it all the time. Well, let me tell you that that conviction, that confession of realizing that you don't always hunger and thirst for him, but you so desperately want to but need help to, 
That, that is really the picture of a beatitude person who Jesus says, approved are you. In sync with me are you. And that conviction, that thought process is really a beautiful place to be. But it's the opposite side of that that's a really dangerous place. Where you might hear Jesus say, hey, you want to be satisfied? I got it. Hunger and thirst for me. And you hear that with indifference or, or ignorance, a lack of conviction, no realization that you need help, but you can do it. You can fill yourself up yourself by your own ways. And so the question we have to ask this morning, we got to wrestle with, is do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for right relationship with Jesus? Jesus is not asking, are you righteous? Are you in right relationship? No, he's asking, are you hungering for it? Because if so, he says, oh, how blessed are you. You will be satisfied. And the other reason he says blessed is because of the payoff, the other part of this beatitude. And that is because he says, you shall be satisfied. Some translations, you shall be filled or full. And something you might notice in this one little sentence here is we have a really interesting paradox. Okay, two opposite things happening at the same time. If you're paying attention, he said in one breath that you are to be hungry and at the same time you are to be full. Like how is that possible in one moment? How can I be full and satisfied but also hungry? Is it like when I order Chinese takeout and I eat and I eat and I eat and I'm stuffed but I still want more? Is it like that? Like I don't know, how does it make sense? Well, there's a few ways to approach this paradox, okay? It's the mindset of satisfied but never satisfied. Full but empty. Content but discontent. It's a spiritual cycle. The more you conform to God's will, the more you seek Jesus, the more filled and content you will become, but that in turn will create greater discontentment and leave you wanting more. Our hunger and our thirst increases and intensifies in the very act of being satisfied. We have a taste and we want more. Like, I went to uh, Italy a few summers ago, and I ate the mess out of that place. Like, everything in sight, like pizza, pasta, fish, everything. But you know what the greatest thing I had? You're going to think this is so weird. I still talk about this. My favorite thing that I had in Italy was a waffle. A waffle. I know. I get waffles all the time. So I'm like, I'll get a waffle. It'll be another waffle. Whatever. I cut into it. I bite into that waffle, and I was like... Oh, bella, perfect. Like, it was so good. That's the extent of my Italian. It was so good. I had a bite and I was satisfied, but I had to have more. That waffle was so good, I needed more. The taste of Jesus is so good, it is so satisfying that you gotta have more. That's what Paul shows us in Philippians. Like, Paul walks so close with Jesus. He speaks to Jesus face to face. In Philippians, he says, I want more. 
Like how greedy is that guy? Give me half of what he has and I'll be happy. He wants more of him. He never has enough. And it's insane because Paul knew Jesus more intimately than we could ever imagine. And that intimacy and satisfaction caused him to long for him even more. What a cycle. This has been the experience of Jesus' followers over the centuries. In this hymn by Bernard of Clairvaux, he says, We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. The more he got, the more he wanted. What a blessed spiritual cycle to be caught up in. That's the paradox. That's a completely satisfying meal that Jesus is offering. Let me ask you, how many, how many cups is the world offering you? You head out this door, you go on your phone, maybe even in your mind right now. At the end of the day, they're all empty. And when you drink from those cups, you're essentially trying to quench your thirst with an empty cup. That's why the emphasis of our text says they and they alone shall be satisfied. Only those who hunger for Jesus will know this kind of satisfaction. All other cups are empty. Jesus says in John 4, everyone who drinks of this water, this is about the water of the world, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Or in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And you want to know what's even more incredible about this? Is that this isn't just for now, though it's absolutely for right now. But this is for all eternity. The image of sitting down at a feast is all over the scriptures and all over Matthew itself. It's a symbol of our eternal time that we will spend with Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, just as the Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Like that sure is the satisfaction of all satisfaction, a feast provided by Jesus. And with all this in mind, Think about how our text reads again. Jesus says, blessed, approved. Oh, the joy and the fullness of the person who longs for righteousness and relationship with me like a starving man longs for food, as a man dying of thirst longs for water. For that man, 
that woman shall be satisfied. You are what you eat. It's a fact. And the tragedy is that our world is hungering for wealth, success, indulgence. It is becoming increasingly sensual and materialistic and dangerous. That's the way it is, and that's the way it will continue until Jesus comes back. And, and really, the church's great tragedy is that many of us are seeking the same cups. And I don't want that for us. Jesus doesn't want that for us. But our diets are prone to be very similar to that of the world. And because of that, we're as empty and unsatisfied as those who don't go to church. You are what you eat. What we need to remember is the menu Jesus has placed in front of us with the main course, longing for him. And the result is incomparable satisfaction. We all need our appetites increased, in line with and purified with what Jesus would have our appetites to be. And so as I start to close here, I want to tie this all together with what we've heard in the first few Beatitudes. And I love this about the Beatitudes. It's a really relentless and disruptive progression that leads to true life. Because in order for us to hunger and thirst for Jesus, in order for that to increase, we need to first begin with the very first beatitude and have a true poverty of spirit. Realizing that there is nothing morally within us that will commend us to God. We need to declare spiritual bankruptcy that we're not able. And when we have that, then we can move to the second beatitude, which is mourning over our sin. And not just our sin, but the sinful condition of the world. A true mourning and sorrow for that, which we will be comforted in, which we will be forgiven of. And when we have that, we can ascend to the third beatitude as we allow our spiritual bankruptcy to take effect and we authentically mourn over our sin. God will give us the quality of a gentle humble, meek spirit. The kind of spirit that is so strong that when someone says to us or the enemy whispers to us that you are empty and worthless and there's nothing morally good within you, you don't hear that with condemnation. No, you're able to respond in the strength and the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. And when that's in our lives, we are capable of desperately starving for righteousness. Blessed are you who feel like you can't make it unless you have Jesus. And I'm not saying that all of your problems are gonna go away. In fact, they probably won't, but you will have a hope. You will have satisfaction now and into eternity. You'll have the power of Jesus working within you. And if you're not there, 
but that's where you want to be. You can confess to him this morning that you've been hungering and thirsting elsewhere, that you have not been satisfied, and you want him to break through and increase your hunger and thirst for him, and you will be met with grace and patience and satisfaction guaranteed. Let's stand together and let's respond. So just before uh, I pray, I just want to remind us that we respond here a few ways. The first is going to be through worship and singing. We're going to give God praise for what he's done for us. And then a little change in flow this morning. Um, We're not going to have a formal time of communion, but instead I encourage you, underneath your seats, you have a little communion cup. When you're ready, when you've wrestled with God, take that as you will. And as you do, as you take the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for you, and drink the juice, which represents his blood spilt for you, like, it's the picture of hungering and thirsting right there. Let's do some work with him and say, Lord, am I hungering and thirsting after things that aren't you? And let's repent of that. Let's ask him to reveal things to us. And then when you're ready, take Jesus. Take his grace. Take his mercy. Take his power. And then if you call the shore home, we respond through giving. Um, In a few weeks, we'll have our giving station set up in person, but for now, you can give online, shorechurch.ca slash give. If you're just visiting, please don't give. We're just so glad that you're here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just um, thank you for your blood that was spilt for us. We thank you for you, Jesus. We confess that we have been searching for fullness and satisfaction in a multitude of different places, and they've all left us unsatisfied. So would you break through this morning? Would you break through in this place and reveal to us that you are what we've been looking for the whole time, and you've always been right in front of us? We love you. We need you. We can't do this without your power. If it were up to us, we would be chasing empty cups all the time, Lord. So would you just enter into our hearts and reveal to us how great you are? Would you increase our desire for you? And may we get caught up in this spiritual loop, this spiritual cycle of satisfied but never satisfied, always wanting more of you. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here and just if anyone is hurting this morning, or feels like they can't make it, or even struggle to walk in these doors today, I just pray that you would meet them with your grace and kindness. And you say it in 2 Corinthians, that you are the God of comfort. Would you just comfort them, be a warm blanket to their soul? So help us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.